Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey everyone, welcome back to OMD Daily. Today is May 28th, 2020, and it's episode 17. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope we have a lot of new uh, new listeners as well as um, the old guard, the, the loyal fans. Thanks for joining in. So today is not an annual report discussion. I didn't read a new company today. I'm sorry about that. Uh, just kind of had to take a break in some ways and chase different curiosity angles. So I think there's one kind of major uh, learning I'd love to share, which is on what I learned about Spotify's culture. So I dug a little deeper into it, and I found this amazing two-part article that described uh interviews with people in the HR team and kind of how the company structured, which was fascinating to learn. But before I talk about that, I'll start with a fun learning. Uh, actually, I learned how to uh, do my own at-home cold brew. So if you're not familiar, familiar with cold brew, it's coffee, it's cold brewing your coffee. So there's the traditional hot brew and then there's cold brew. They usually go for twice the price of regular hot brew coffee. And so I thought there's got to be a way for me to do it. So traditionally, traditionally before, what I would do is I would brew hot coffee in the morning and I would make it in like a large French press and whatever's left over, I'd put it in the fridge and have my iced coffee the day after. But turns out you can actually make this at home pretty easily just with a French press. So uh, I'll, I have all the notes in the show, show link on OMD Ventures, so you can look at the video that I'll tag, but... Practically, it's the Starbucks cold brew video that I followed and had my first taste today, and it's pretty good. I've got to say, I probably don't need to buy cold brew outside anymore, so I'm not missing out at all. So the way it works is it's typically, I think, a between a 16 to 20-hour brewing period, so you got to practically put it overnight. Uh, you want to get coarse grounded beans, so generally when you get beans grounded, or you ask someone to ground it for you uh, for French press, it has to be coarser than, I think, um, typical like pour-over-based coffee. But I think from my experience, asking uh, whichever coffee shop you go to to kind of grind it a little coarser than, than normal would be good. But yeah, so you, you get your beans, you grind it at a coarse setting. I'm using air quotes. And... You put some, you know, four, four tablespoons of beans inside your French pr- French press, and you put in cold water. You dunk cold water in until you know it's nearly full, um, and just stir all the beans. You want to make sure that the entire coffee grind uh, coffee grounds are completely wet. You don't want to uh, have any of them be dry, and then you put your lid on top. Um, You don't press it, you just put the lid on top and then you put it into your fridge. And mind you, you want to have a uh, tall enough fridge space to account for your French press and the top lid 
without it actually being pressed down. So then you have that long uh, presser antenna sticking out. So that's something I realized when I was brewing. And I was like, oh, shit. And so luckily it, it fit. So I was able to find a little area that I could make use of um, in my fridge. But yeah, just keep that in mind. So yeah, after that, just put it in the fridge. Let it sit for, I think I left it for about 18, 20 hours. Um, and then pressed the French press and voila, it tasted amazing. And I think I'm probably going to do it every day now. I actually have a batch re- brewing inside the fridge right now and I'm super excited to take it out tomorrow morning. So I, if you love cold brew coffee, I highly recommend it. Uh, watch, you can even find it on YouTube, the Starbucks cold brew at home video. It's awesome. It's a game changer. It makes my morning even better every day. Now, a um, couple other things I learned today. Also, one, it's more of a nice uh, pick-me-up was I had a podcast transcribing company reach out and ask if I wanted to get my podcast tr- transcribed. Obviously, not for free. They, I think it's something like $500 a year or something, um, at least for the amount of audio that I would probably produce in a month. And, you know, I'm trying to keep costs low, so I'm probably not going to do that. But it's nice. Um, you know, the, the founder reached out and said, Hey, your podcast OMD daily is getting traction. And so I want to see if you want to do some transcribing. So that was a little nice pat on the back and, uh, also pat to you as well for you, my listeners, obviously for, um, helping this podcast get traction. So I really appreciate it. And so that was kind of nice to get. It's always nice to have other kind of companies show interest and it kind of makes you feel like you're kind of, you're in the big leagues or, you know, that, that that you matter, you know, as much as I don't want to get riled up on extrinsic scorecards and I want to be as internal and intrinsically driven as I can, it always is nice to get external validation. I, I'm only human, right? And so that was a nice development, nice surprise. Um, listened to a ton of podcasts today. And I think one particular one that made me think more was on, uh, it was a focused compounding podcast episode um i don't remember what the title was but it i think it was an episode from a couple days ago um it was one of their q a episodes i think but it was it was mainly about um thinking about management and looking at uh incentives so typically when um you know, even if you've heard me talking about companies I like to look at how the top level management is compensated and the proxy statement, unfortunately only goes over top management. And I would honestly love to learn more about lower management and people at, you know, the front lines, how are they compensated? How are their bonuses structured? How um, are their pay scales designed? Because that, uh, because all that matters too. And this interview on focus compounding kind of touched upon that. And it reminded me of these various factors to also think about where, when you're in the CEO seat, you know, there's definitely a lot of ego and many times like would these people really need that extra couple million dollars, right? Um, does that, does their way of incentive, incentives really matter to the company? Whereas for people in the front lines, I mean, they probably need the income, right? They probably need the bonus. They probably need the salaries. So if the in- incentives for the frontline workers probably matter much more because they don't make millions of dollars a year. And they probably don't have as much of the, uh, you know, financial luxury that people in the C-suite would have. And 
that got me definitely thinking more about how I could try to figure out people at the bottom are compensated. Um, and maybe even using this podcast as a way to get that kind of information out and getting a better understanding of that as well. So I think those are definitely, definitely things um, I'd be curious to look further into. And this interview kind of reminded me of that perspective. And it's something I think I will try to incorporate more um, into my own investment process. But into this, I think podcast in general, like I've been experimenting with or thinking about ideas of maybe having people who work in public companies come out and like come on my podcast and maybe we'll have, we'll make it anonymous and we can just talk about your culture. Like maybe I'll try to get people from Amazon or Facebook on and ask, ask them what culture is actually like inside the company and get that kind of uh, understanding because I think that could be pretty interesting. And that's the kind of scuttlebutt research I'd love to do. So yeah, I think that's something um, I'd be curious to implement. And also a good chunk of my day was actually spent learning about uh, calisthenics training, so bodyweight fitness, you know, the handstand push-ups, one-handed push-ups, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've been able, I haven't been able to do any of my powerlifting training with all this isolation, so I've been running all these bodyweight fitness programs, but none of them were actually um, created by me. Like I haven't, I didn't really incorporate much of the strength development philosophy into it, but I figured this is probably going to last a while. I finally ordered a pull-up bar and it's going to come soon. So I get to add a little more repertoire. Um, my skills work's getting pretty decent. I can hold the handstand for a solid, I think, five seconds, which is a big improvement for me. Um, and I think this is a pretty decent form as well. Like there's no arching of my back. Um, I was able to do my first five reps of a pistol squat, which is your one-legged squat without having my form um, deteriorate. And so, and this was also in my post-surgery knee, which is a big win for me. Um, but yeah, the I still figured that I needed to find a way to incorporate um, the strength development philosophy. And there actually is a pretty amazing resource on um, Strong First, which is Pavel Tatsulin's company. And for those who don't know, I'd recommend you w- watch Pavel's interviews on Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan's podcast. He's um, he's the guy that brought kettlebells to North America, and I've always been an admirer of his work, like ever since I was in university. And I utilized a portion of his strength philosophy into powerlifting training, but I also learned that there are components for bodyweight fitness, so I'm trying to incorporate that as well in regards to improving pull-ups, improving my one-handed push-ups, my handstand push-ups, etc. Um, I haven't set out on a set, uh, I haven't developed a program yet for myself, but I think once I do, um, I'll definitely definitely share it. I think although what I learned today from kind of digging through the Reddit forum, which has an amazing calisthenics community, um, and also just kind of relating it with, with strength training development, you know, the key things are like you want to rest a lot, rest like five, 10 minutes per set. Um, reps should be, you know, probably no more than five. That's kind of the key, I guess, frameworks for, for strength training. Um, but the difficulty is in exercise selection and load, uh, load for when you use body weight fitness, because when you're at the gym, you can add more weights, but with your body weight, if you don't, you don't really want to get 
gain more weight, right? So unless it's muscle mass, but still that takes some time. So then you have to use gravity or different kinds of exercise selections, which can uh, increase the difficulty. Um, And so that's something I've been exploring and how much time my body needs to recover from strength training, uh, especially with the body weights, because I think the intensity and um, stress it puts on your body is probably different. So I've still been researching that. I haven't found anything conclusive on it. Um, I think overall, when I read about a couple of pretty well-respected calisthenics experts, not experts, but practitioners, um, it's more looking like I'll probably be training six, six times a week, um, just one day of rest and really incorporating more of the grease to groove strategy that Pavel, uh, Pavel talks about this, the grease to groove strategy. If you type it in Google or any search engine, just type grease, grease to groove, Pavel Tatsulin, and it'll t- tell you all about it in detail. But it's basically you split up your entire uh, number of sets throughout the day um, and do something like three to five sets uh, three, three to five reps maybe even slightly more depending on how your body feels um, but still kind of keeping around that strength framework area um, anything past I think even eight goes away from the uh, strength development element as so trying to inclu- implement that throughout the day where I'll focus on kind of key push-pull movements or a hinge movement um, so doing like a pistol squats and handstand push-ups so having that as throughout the day and so just doing you know five to maybe ten sets throughout the day um sometimes maybe i'll have it all together i'm just taking five minute breaks each, each time or ten minute breaks or i can just kind of spread out even further throughout the day from morning all the way till night where um i just take some time as a as a break from doing work and implementing that i'm still not sure whether i'm going to do kind of like an a b a b uh a b style workout where i have let's say pistol squats and handstand push-ups on day a and then for day b i'll have um maybe lunges and pull-ups and kind of constantly have it rotating that way but that's something i've been thinking about something i've been reading about um and trying to get more familiarity familiarity on this podcast is really making me learn to enunciate my words so this is pretty good um but yeah and so that's kind of on the health side and to the meat of the conversation talking about spotify's culture so i dug dug around the web and i learned that um you know spotify gives stock options to all their employees i thought that was pretty uh different although it's common in a lot of startups i think for a large company like spotify it's still something nice to know about um but the big meat of everything that i learned came from this site called corporate rebels which i have just fallen in love with because it's run by people who think in some ways exactly like me and they're doing the work that i want to do and so that got me really excited and i learned their i read through their whole two-part series on spotify and so they spoke with their head of HR, Spotify's head of HR and the HR business partner there. And I kind of tried to compile some key learnings I had. So if you're familiar with what I talked about yesterday uh, in analyzing Spotify, I said that the culture includes this unique structure. I think it's called the N structure uh, that has four 
people groups. Um, so there's the squad, the tribe, chapters, and guilds. So a squad is apparently a team of six to twelve people that are designed to become like a mini startup, and each squad apparently operates fully autonomously, and they're responsible for a single feature. So you just have this team of twelve people who work together like a separate company who works on a singular feature. Um, and it's not that they get disbanded after like three months. Like you can go through a long period of time just in that one squad. And that becomes like this small company. And they call it like the self-organizing team. Um, and each squad has their own way of working. Um, and I guess that's the self-organizing factor. Like some can use Scrum Sprint. Some can use Kanban. Some people can have like this very detailed process that they pump out uh, products in. Some can just have a more looser process. And so it turns out that every squad operates completely unique from others. And it's up to the members to decide how they want to make it work. So that's pretty unique. Um, And even the way your, I guess this could change in the future with COVID, but apparently everyone in the squad sits around together. So literally you have this place in an office where all your desks are next to each other and you're just one company you have your own meeting rooms that are for only your squad so it's literally as if you just have a place in a we work and you just have this small company of 12 people and then a collection of squads becomes a tribe and that tribe is made up of squads that have related product areas so everyone's still focusing on one feature that doesn't overlap with another squad it turns out but they collectively kind of get grouped as kind of like a holding company or of sorts of people that work on a related product area for Spotify. And this happens to happens um, in the same geographic location as well. So one tribe will all be in the same office. Um, and so it, it allows for the various tribes, the squads inside that tribe to also kind of share, I guess, best practices and allow this kind of uh, organic development um, and the tribe too acts as a autonomous organization compared to other tribes that are out there and the tribes are designed to be smaller than 150 people aka the Dunbar 150 number where um, that number is where if you get past 150 it's kind of assumed that culture erodes and your relationships all break down and apparently the ideal size of a tribe is 40 so that means that you will probably have either three to four squads inside of it if it's you know 10 to 12 people or you can have probably ideally six squads if you have the minimum of six people per squad and then so there's squads tribes and then there's chapters and so chapters are uh separate from squads and tribes chapters are groups of people with similar skill sets so i guess like developers could be in one chapter but each developer in that chapter could be in a different squad and they could also be in different tribes but what's unique about a chapter is that each chapter has this line manager who practically um, access this air quotes again uh, manager for who's responsible for developing people setting salaries it's kind of like the performance coach for all the developers so i'm just using the developer example because you know engineers are practically a good chunk of spotify and so what happens is even the chapter lead, which is like the line manager, is still involved as part of a separate squad for day-to-day work. And the 
line manager practically is like a part-time developer. Like um, he or she has their own responsibilities as a developer as part of their squad, but they also have a priority as a line manager. And it's so that there's alignment with that skill set group where you are being assessed and your salary is being judged and your development is being helped by someone who knows what your job is like. Um, and then finally we get to guilds and guilds kind of cut across organizations and they, I think ha- they just have like various kind of common interests within the company, kind of like it, it's different from, I guess, trade guilds from before, because that's what chapters are kind of like, uh, because people have similar skill sets are part of the chapter, but it seems it's like guilds are kind of more, kind of more like extracurricular clubs inside, uh, Spotify. So those are the kind of four major people groups, which I found pretty unique in their organization structure. Um, what else? Like, you know, I, I, there's plenty of, I think, jargon about, yeah, it's safe place, all about trust, innovation, fail fast, develop fast. I think I've heard, heard many companies say that, so I haven't really paid too much attention to that. Um, I think one thing that was interesting that the HR business partner commented on was that if you make the same mistake twice, then that would become a sign that you're not developing yourself enough. And I felt that was a very key thing to be said because not many companies I feel would like to, you know, say, yeah, like if you're not, if you make the same mistake twice, then you might not be doing a good job. Like I think most companies would kind of gloss over that and not want to share that kind of negative factoid. And be like, oh yeah, we're, we we love everyone, and you're all gonna be great. But I think kind of putting that hard stop and boundary there, saying yeah, like you're probably not developing yourself enough, and we're gonna take notice of that, is very key. Um, they they have a coaching approach where there's apparently that is the way that performance is actually measured. They don't have a separate kind of performance measurement standard, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, the way they focus on developing people is they have continuous one-on-one coaching sessions where. Uh, truth is the be-all and end-all, and I thought that was pretty awesome to hear. Um, development talks happen twice a year where the future of the individual is 70% of the conversation, the now is 20%, and the past is 10%. Pretty cool. Constantly forward-looking. Um, Daniel Eck does a town hall every three weeks that's broadcasted live throughout the entire global office. Um, when they hire people, they... Um, apparently they hire for a culture first and skill set second. I've heard so many tech companies say that, and that's not true in so many tech companies. So I'm very skeptical when I hear companies say that. But what uh, Spotify has done as a way of executing on that is that the culture interview is the first interview they do. So I thought that was um, kind of putting where their was it food where your mouth is. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I think the way they built their core, the five core values that they have uh, is pretty interesting. I forget what the five core values were. I don't think that's as important. I think what's important is how they actually went about building it. And so apparently the way they designed the core values was they had these value workshops um, where they wanted everyone to get involved. And the way they did it is they started by working first with the smallest offices around the world world and then they worked their way up to the biggest office in new york city and stockholm in sweden and that kind of reminded me of how uh, meetings should actually be run generally you know if you want to actually get hear everyone's opinion i think i think simon sinek might have talked about this 
this in his book leaders at eat last but the idea is that you want the junior people to speak up first and then it should go into the senior people uh, and the boss you know the the leader should speak last um, because you don't want the loudest voice to practically dissuade anyone else from having a differing opinion and I think having the smaller offices go first allows their culture and their values to kind of stick out because they could be more unique from what a large behemoth office like New York City or Stockholm has. So I thought that was also a very purposeful and um, smart way of looking at creating your core values. So overall, this was super interesting. Um, I found it to be a pretty cool indication of a company that's actually being very thoughtful of how they build their organization. Um, so yeah, that was a pretty cool learning on itself and that's kind of it for today um, i hope to be back with you tomorrow for something more interesting but that's kind of it for today a lot of my time was actually spent on just learning about culture learning about a lot of random things um, i gotta be honest with you i wasn't as uh, effective as i wanted to be maybe it's the weather because it was raining um, i caught up with a few friends over zoom so that's been my day hope yours was filled with more learning than mine but i hope i was able to add something to you. And yeah, have a good one. Take care.